before we get into our series on bringing home the bacon, I do want to just update you on kind of where we're going over the next several weeks as we approach Easter. My friends, we are in a crazy season. Crazy. Man, you guys, guys, crazy. Emphasize, I'm going to emphasize that a little more, okay? Crazy, crazy season, but it's a really good season. You know, we've been, we've been coming out of this lull kind of around the, um, the, the Christmas time. After Christmas, we went into this lull in January and in February. And we started talking about rest and Sabbathing, and it was really good. And we all had a nice, long two-month vacation. And my friends, it is time to work, okay? We're in a series called Bring Home the Bacon. We are working now. We are moving from a time of resting taking all the energy that we have stored up, and now we are applying it to our community, applying it to our love of God, and applying it to our love of, another, uh, love of one another. Restoration Church is committed to two tasks. And so we are committed to making God known within our community as we know God more intimately. And so we want this discipleship arm to grow up big and strong. We want everybody connected in groups and in community to grow up to know God more intimately, more passionately. But we also want to make him known to our community. And so what I'm going to discuss over the next several minutes is really opportunities to do both of these. To, to grow up into God's likeness, to become more like Jesus, which is our model of discipleship. But then also to become like him so that our community may have a better understanding of who Jesus is. To make him known within our community. And so we are in a crazy season. Yes, it is a very crazy season. And so by all means, as I discuss all the things that are coming up, by all means, don't feel obligated to jump in and say, yeah, I'm going to raise my hand at every single thing we do. I'm not going to ask that of you. That would be asking a lot of all of you. And so I would really encourage you to pray about how God is calling you to be invested and involved. And if something piques your interest, if God convicts you in some way, then jump in. Give to a certain cause. Give to a, an, an opportunity or volunteer for something or sign up for something or attend something. But by all means, do not feel obligated to do everything that we're about to lay out. Beyond all that, I really do encourage you to begin praying for restoration. If you don't already, if it's not a regular routine of yours, pray for the work that God is doing here. Pray for our leadership. Pray for our staffing. Pray for the people that you know within this body who may be suffering or struggling. Pray for one another, absolutely. Let's be a praying body. But then also pray about your involvement and how God is calling you to be involved here. Pray for those people you know whom we are going to interact with over the next month or so as we approach Easter. Pray for those people who you are considering inviting to Easter and how we can fill this place so that our community may hear the gospel at the Easter series. Whether it be one person or many people or an entire family, I encourage you to pray, 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 pray some more, pray again, pray continuously, and then pray some more. My friends, we need to be a praying body who is continually praying not only for the work that God is doing here, but for the people in whom we can invite into this place and into the gospel of Jesus. I was thinking about prayer recently. I was playing with my kids, and one of the things that we like to do, especially with my boys, is we like to build magnet tiles. A magnet tile is it's a magnet tile, right? That's essentially what it is, right? It's a block. It's a, it's a brick that has magnets on the side, and you can create things and structures out of them. And so we like to create magnet tile uh, structures. And then we used to take Nerf guns. We like to take Nerf guns and, and try to shoot them down, right? It's just kind of fun. That's what, that's what the boys need to do, right? And so uh, just last week, we built this tower, and then we, we stepped back, you know, 15, 20 feet from the tower, and we were shooting it with, shooting it with guns, and, like, we hit it maybe two out of ten times. And, uh, and even the times we did hit it, it didn't even budge it. It didn't even move it at all. And I was thinking, like, this is kind of what prayer is like for too many people. Like, we just kind of lost these Hail Mary prayers up to God, and we're like, God, please hear this. I, I know I'm not close to you. I know I'm not intimate. I know I don't have a relationship.
relationship with you. I know that you're far away, and I don't really recognize your voice, but God, take this and do something with it because I need your help. And we, we hope that, you know, those prayers are going to change something and affect something. And, and what my boys and I had to do, right, because those, you know, hitting that thing, you know, 15 feet away was doing nothing. We had to get up literally point blank to this brick tower, and we had to shoot it. And it still took probably 50 to 75 shots to put this thing down. And I'm like, this is prayer, my friends. you got to get up close. you got to get into the mess of it. You need to pray continuously and then pray again and pray again and pray again. I love what I love the situation. I don't love it, but it is it's it's true. I think when Daniel the prophet was praying, we're told that all of his prayers went up, and that even his prayers were responded to. But all of the responses were caught up in the spiritual war, and so he didn't receive the response to his prayer because there was a war that was intersecting all of the prayers that his people were were making. And my friends, prayer is like a, a mail carrier in a war, on a war field, like. You need to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And what you'll find then is you pray, 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 point blank prayers, right? Point blank prayers, close, intimate, passionate, close to God. I understand his voice. I know his voice. I hear his voice. Point blank prayers. You'll find that eventually, over time, that tower will crumble and it's good for us. Because I think what, one of the things we need to learn is that prayer weakens strongholds. And, and it may not just be the, the, the stronghold of, of anger or unforgiveness or pride, anxiety, comparison, greed, addiction, apathy, so many other strongholds. Prayer weakens strongholds. And so you may have a neighbor, you may have a coworker or a friend or a family member who is like, you know what, I am opposed to the church. I'm adamantly opposed to the church. I don't care what the church is about. I don't care what the church is doing. That's a stronghold over their life. And so we need to be praying for our neighbors and our community who yet don't know Jesus, and maybe they were hurt by the church at a young age, and so they disgrant, they, they don't care about the church and what the church is doing. They don't care about Jesus. They're going to go live their life. That's a stronghold, and we need to be praying for our community, praying for the ones that we know have these strongholds over their life. And then perhaps maybe this first invitation to them isn't going to land, but ten invitations from now, they're open to it. And maybe they're willing to come to church, and maybe they're open to you sharing the gospel with them. Pray, 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 and then pray some more. Pray for those you want to invite, and then invite as many people as you possibly can. First, as we head towards Easter, we are in a season of Lent. This is a season where we intentionally prepare our hearts and our minds for the suffering and the resurrection of Jesus. And so at Restoration, we do this in, in two primary ways. We, we think of the ways that we can give, because if you remember, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son into the world. And so we like to think of opportunities where we can give, but then we also like to think of opportunities where we can sacrifice because that's really what Lent is about. It's a preparation for the sacrifice of Jesus, the life that he laid down, and then we are to model that as well. And so we have partnered with 40 Acts. 40 Acts is an opportunity for us to get a, a prompting in our inbox every single morning. And you can still sign up for this, by the way. You can go to our website and you can sign up for 40 Acts if you would like. You get a prompting in your inbox every single morning, which, which will give you some suggestions of how you can go and love on your community in really simple ways. Little of them, some of them are a little more profound than others, but I would just encourage you to participate in this. And then another thing that we are doing uh, throughout the season is we are partnering with some local food pantries to, to uh, gather as much non-perishable food as, as, as we can so that we can stock the food shelves so that people are not without the necessary foods that they need um, come this Easter season. 
Now, both of these things are opportunities both to sacrifice and to give, because you might notice that every time that you are generous, every time that you give, it's going to cost you something. And so there's always a sacrifice in giving. And so we like to be generous throughout the season of Lent because it kind of encapsulates all that God did for us. And so it's a great mimicry of what God is doing in us and for us, and we like then to mimic that to our community. If you choose to do this, um, we have a number of these cards available for you. These are just simple cards. They say, God loves us. Uh, God, I'm sorry, God loves you, and so do we. Uh, we have stacks of these out in the floor. We have stacks of them out in the back hallway. I would encourage you just to take as many of these as you can. And as you're going about loving our community, being generous towards your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers in the season of Lent, I would just encourage you to drop these in as many places as you possibly can. Maybe you go to a restaurant and you give your server an exceptionally large tip. Well, let them know that this is prompted by God's love for me. I love you because God first loved me, right? That's the motivation for, for loving other people. It's not because, well, I'm just a really good person. No, it's because God has been so exceptionally good to me. Therefore, I want to be good to you. Maybe it's you, you have a coworker who's had a really hard day and you want to just inspire them and encourage them. Well, God loves you and so do we. Maybe you just want to leave a stack of these at the receptionist desk at the dental hygienist office you visit. I don't know. Like, get creative about how you spread this very simple message into the world that I believe so desperately needs to hear it. So take these, take stacks, take as many as you want, get the word out into the community. Tell the community why we love, and it's not because, again, we're just such good people. It's simply because God first loved us, and we are responding to that love. We like to make inviting uh, easy and fun here at Restoration Church. There are a lot of various events that we are creating invites for. And so today, even after this service, if you are interested and available to, to help us out, um, we are going to be gathering down in the fellowship hall, which is kind of towards the, the back of the church. It's a great way to meet new people, too, just hang out. Um, we are going to be putting egging kits together. We're also going to be putting Easter invitational kits together. The egging kit is specifically for the Easter extravaganza, which is coming up on April 5th. The egging kit is, in, is simply a, a way for us to invite our community to the Easter extravaganza in a really fun way. The, the premise is that each kit will contain seven candy-filled eggs, and you are to go to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the, the people whom you know, and you are to egg their house, which simply means providing a little mini egg hunt in their yards, you know. <laughs> Don't take those real eggs and shatter their windows, please. Provide them a little egg hunt as we approach the Easter season, and then we put a door hanger on their door, which is simply an invite explaining that there are seven eggs in their yard, and it's an invitation to our 1030 service on April 5th, followed by the Easter extravaganza afterwards. The Easter extravaganza is a really fun event. Uh, several years ago, we built a, like a 20-foot catapult that launches, um, you know, over the course of several launches, 1,500 Easter eggs uh, through the air, um, hundreds of feet through the air, so it's, it's a really cool sight. It's a really cool thing to partake. We also have um, egg hunts for the little kids. We have this year uh, introducing the golden egg hunt during the extravaganza for you adults out there who are just like, I'm here for my kids. There's really nothing for me to do. But hey, you find one of those golden eggs. You're going to be pleased you did. You showed up for this thing, all right? So there's some activities for the, the, older, the older adults among us, the older kids among us as well. Um, there are crafts. There are face painting. There's balloon creations. There's a petting zoo. I don't know. There's a there's hundred different things that, that really make this a really special event. And so it's a, such an easy invite. Who of you know in your community that might be interested in attending the Easter extravaganza this week? Such an easy invite, and we encourage you to invite them to our 1030 service and then stick around for the Easter extravaganza. Those, again, will be available next week. And then the following Friday is April 10th, and this is the day where we recognize that Jesus died upon the cross. We call it Good Friday. It's a very somber day. It's a, it's a 
It's a really hard day because Jesus endured so much, but we call it good because it is the day where he purchased our redemption. It's the day where salvation was won and offered. And so we call it Good Friday, even though it's a very dark day, stained day upon the world's history. But we have three opportunities for you to reflect on the cross of Jesus Christ. We have a 5 o'clock, a 6 o'clock, and a 7 o'clock. They're all going to be identical um, in that we will begin in this room. We will, we will sing together. We'll reflect through song. We'll reflect through scripture. And then after a while, we're going to invite you into the rest of the building where you can touch and manipulate and, and feel um, what the cross might have felt like and what his sufferings may have felt like in that regard. And so it's, it's highly experiential, um, but it's also very mental and, and, and spiritual as well. So I would encourage you again, 5, 6, and 7 on that Friday, April 10th. Join us then. And then Easter. Easter, <laughs> such a wonderful day in the church, right? This is, this is our Super Bowl. This is, what we, this is what we gear up for. So we're so excited for Easter this year at Restoration Church. We have three services being offered. We have a 5 o'clock on April 11th. There is child care available for birth through fourth grade. And then on Easter morning, we have a 9 o'clock Thank you. Yeah, not fourth grade. No, 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 sorry. Uh, birth through four years old. Thank you for that. And then on Easter morning, we do have birth through fifth grade, right? Normal RC Kids is available for all of the kids. Uh, and that's, again, 9 and 10.30. But I would really, here's what I encourage you guys to do. Consider and, and pray about whether God is calling you to attend the Saturday night service. Uh, because that's going to free up more seats uh, in our two services on Sunday morning for guests and for visitors on that day. So really pray about if God is calling you to do that so that we can fill um, this place with guests and with visitors. Along with Easter um, comes Easter flowers. We've done this every year, uh, but this year it's going to a great cause. Um, it's going to support our Bolivian missions trip, and I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But Easter flowers, you can buy six-inch pots for $5 each unless you want two or more, then they're only $5. We use these to decorate this sanctuary. We, Easter is such a beautiful day in the sanctuary, right? It's bright, it's cheery. We have tons and tons of flowers and greens, and it just comes alive in here. And so uh, if you would like to help support our Bolivia missions trip, you can order Easter flowers. You can either do that at the Next Step kiosk, or you can go online to do that as well. Social media invites is a great way, by the way. You know, if you don't want to get a hard copy invite for Easter, the extravaganza, social media is a great way to invite our community to what God is doing here at Restoration Church. I would really encourage you to do that. But I would really also encourage you to make your invite as personal as possible. So invite your neighbors specifically, but I would really encourage you just to blast, take everything we have, all the various events, everything you see on social media, blast it out to our community as far-reaching as we can get. One of the ways that we um, really... We created this last year to help push our social media, to help push our web presence, to help drive people towards our content online, is that we created a golden egg hunt for our community at large. So we are starting this on March 22nd. Again, there's going to be a golden egg hidden somewhere within our region. And the prize of it is a $250 Amazon gift card. If you find the golden egg, you win that prize. Uh, we found last year that our web presence and our social presence multiplied a thousand times over. And so it was a massive success in getting our people, our community aware of who we are and what we're about. And so I would encourage you to participate and have some fun with that. So that is the Easter side of things. Now we have the Bolivia side of things. There are a number of opportunities to come up to engage uh, the community, to make friends, to meet new people, but also to help our Bolivia mission trip get to Bolivia later this July. The first one is that we have a pancake breakfast coming up on March 28th. 
If you like pancakes, if you like breakfast, if you like meeting new people, come on out. 8 o'clock to, nine, eight o'clock to 11 o'clock a.m. down at Fellowship Hall. We're going to be serving breakfast and, you know, anything that you would like to contribute to the cause, I'd encourage you to do so. But it's just, it's a great way to, to meet some new people and just to enjoy uh, a warm breakfast um, prepared by our Bolivia team. And then on May 16th, we have our third annual vendor event. Uh, if you are a vendor, by the way, if, if you sell something or if you have a food truck or you know people with a food truck, you know vendors, or you want to present a raffle or provide a raffle, then uh, you can do that, uh, helping this great cause to get our, our Bolivia team uh, there and back. This is a huge fundraiser for us in order to do that. So let us know if you're interested in that. We're also going to be selling Bolivia t-shirts, which we did last time. They're a huge hit. People still wear them all the time. And so we have this Bolivia t-shirt this year, $15, $10 of those go to the Bolivia team. So it's a great way to, to, um, to share the love. That says love needs no translation, by the way. It's kind of connecting the Philadelphia region all the way down into South America. It's kind of cool. We're going to have tons of opportunities for you to engage um, community, fun ways to meet new people, fun ways to engage um, one another, but also to help support the Bolivia trip coming up over the next couple months. We'll be talking much more about that. So, so here's my question for you. As we talk about all these ways to invite people, all these ways to get involved and to be engaged, why invite? Why? Like, wh- what's, what's the benefit? Like, what is it really doing? Why invite? Why does it matter that our community come here? Or why does it matter that our community go to another gospel-preaching church? Why does it all matter? And here's what I want you to consider. Every single person, that could be your coworker, your family member, your friend, your neighbor, whoever it may be, every single person has questions and longings deep within their heart that they are trying to answer through the ways of the world and through the things of the world. Questions about what to do with their guilt and what to do with their depression and what to do with the search for purpose and what to do with the sense that there's something more and beyond and greater than themselves, what to do with this messed up relationship that they're in, what to do with the hurt that they feel. But then on the other side, like, why do I love people? Why am I prompted to be generous? These don't seem like natural inclinations, right? So there's kind of both sides to this coin. But all of these questions are being asked. All of these longings deep inside are true of everybody within our community and our friends and our family and our neighbors. And every single one of these people are trying to answer these questions by engaging the world. They all have the questions, and they're all seeking answers by going to the world. But the problem is you can't solve an internal problem with an external solution, or you can't solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. But I bet that if we got together, we could all name a ton of people who are trying. And I bet that if we delved back into our own stories and our own history, we could tell all the times when we tried and it didn't work. And so pray. Pray, 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 and then pray some more. Pray without ceasing, right? Weaken those strongholds over our community. Pray, 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 and then invite. And let's introduce our community to the source of love and the source of grace that we all So there's a lot going on, right? We're in a crazy season. I would encourage you to, again, pray and invite, pray and invite, pray and invite. Let's engage our community as we grow up to become more like Jesus, as we know him more intimately, but then also as we make him known within our community. 
Today, we are continuing our series titled Bringing Home the Bacon. We are in a series on work. It's not just a thing that we go to from, you know, 9 to 5 every single day of the week that gives us a paycheck so that we can function in this society. Work is also about the things that we do just to make life manageable. It's about folding that basket of laundry. It's about doing that load of dishes. It's about everything that we do to organize the chaos in our life. And this morning, I want to look at one verse to see how it relates to work. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to join me in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is at the, the end of your text. If you flip towards the end, you'll find it there. It's the seventh book of the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. So it's towards the end, but not too far into your New Testament. The Corinthian church, to give you a little bit of context of what's going on here, uh, they were up against a dilemma that we really don't understand very well within our context. We don't have this dilemma, at least I don't have this dilemma, maybe... Maybe you do. Uh, I don't think that you do. I don't think many people do. But in their Greco-Roman world in the first century, Christians were running up against this problem constantly. Namely, what do you do with food that has been sacrificed to idols? What do you do when you are presented with food that has been sacrificed to idols? Are you permitted to eat it? Now imagine that you're a citizen of Corinth in the first century, and, and, and you stop by the market to you know, gather your food for the dinner after work one day. The market is essentially their grocery store, except that the meat section is supplied by the priests who make their daily deposits from the morning sacrifices. You see, in, in their day and age, people on their way to work would stop by the various temples of their day to offer sacrifices to the various gods. Depending upon what was going on in their situation, depending upon what they needed help with or, or you know, relief from, they would go to that god's temple and they would offer a sacrifice. So if you need love, go to Aphrodite. If you want your enemies to be dead, then go to Hades. If, if you need victory over an opposing nation, go to Ares. If you need a good crop, then go to Demeter. If you're going on a long journey, go to Hermes. I mean, there was literally a God for every component of life. And so if you were doing something that you needed help with or assistance with, then go to that God's temple, ask you, uh, offer your sacrifices, and, and just presume and assume that the blessing is going to come. And so the priests then would have this abundance of meat, and they would turn it around and sell it back to the market. So, on your way home from work, you, you buy uh, a goat, you know, uh, to feed your family. And you know, of course, a goat's going to feed way more than just your family. And so you invite all of your neighbors to join you. You invite your community to join you for dinner. And, and then Bob, you know, he's your next-door neighbor. And you haven't seen Bob in a little while. But, you know, you invite Bob over for this feast that you've prepared, this goat that you prepared that had earlier that day been sacrificed to Zeus. And, and Bob reveals to you he's converted to Christianity. That's a dilemma. That's kind of odd, right? There's some awkwardness. Oh, Bob, don't you know that I just sacrificed this, this animal to Zeus earlier in the day? Are you permitted to eat this? He's not your God. Like, are you permitted to eat this food that has been sacrificed to a pagan God? It seems like an odd dilemma, doesn't it? I mean, we don't understand this because we never come across this dilemma in our day. But, but here is Paul's encouragement to them. So he says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions or conscience. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But if there are people within your midst, if there are people dining at the same table who do have a problem with it, maybe there are other Christians who aren't as secure in their faith as you are, who aren't as strong in their faith as you are. If there are other people who are concerned that you are eating food that has been sacrificed to a pagan god, then for their sake, for the love of your neighbor, don't eat it. Because no one should seek their own good, but only the good of others. I mean, isn't this a verse to live by? 
How would our culture change? How would our civilization change if we all took up this command? No one should seek their own good, but rather the good of others. Don't make someone else uncomfortable because of the strength of your conscience. Rather, love your neighbor, which means mimicking Jesus at all times. And Jesus did not demand that we go at his pace. No, he accommodated to our pace. And so, love, just like Jesus has loved. And as Paul is thinking about this, he's reflecting on how Jesus lived his life. He's reflecting on how he lived his life. He's, he's reflecting about this principle. And, and, the, and, this, and this other principle comes to mind. He says, you know what? Let this be just your guiding force. What I'm about to say, let this just guide you in everything that you do. Let this just be a principle that guides you. This is the principle that I live my life by. It's certainly the principle that Jesus lived his life by. Let this just be your guiding principle, whether you eat or drink. But then Paul has to stop. He's like, no, okay, I, I can't pigeonhole this principle, this, this one guiding principle to just our eating and drinking. But absolutely, my friends, yeah, 21st century America, we need to grapple onto this idea as well. Whether we eat or drink, how we use our fork and our spoon and our cup, we need to honor this principle as well. Whether you eat or drink. But it's so much bigger than that, he's saying. I, I can't pigeonhole it, right? I can't relegate it only to food and drink. So whatever you do, not just about food and drink, it's about everything else. Your, your work, your driving, your putting on your makeup, your doing your hair, your growing grocery shopping. You're playing with the kids at the park. You're paying the bills. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let this be the principle that guides you in all that you do, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you find yourself doing, do it for the glory of God. Do it for the doxa. The doxa is a, is a Greek word for glory that we translate glory. It's kind of a hard word to pin down. It's not a word that we use too often outside of church context. It's one of those churchy words. Doxa indicates majesty and beauty, and uh, there's a certain weightiness or significance maybe to the person or the, or the situation, the individual that it's referring to. But it can also refer to one's authority. We sang a song earlier called the doxology. Literally glory words is what that word means. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, all above you, heavenly host. Where is the attention being drawn here? Is it to me, the song singer, the person singing the song? I mean, yeah, I, I may be the person, you know, in the middle of the stage, but like my attention, like I, I don't want the attention. Praise God. Don't, don't praise me. No, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Carson Wentz, he's that quarterback of that one team that's local throughout here. You know, he's that, he's that one guy. <clears throat> he has a, a motto tattooed on his wrist. And he has a lot of t-shirts. He actually created a foundation around it. AO1. Does anybody know what AO1 stands for? Audience of one. He actually took this verse to inspire him in regards to his foundation, in regards to his motto. That, that all that I do, right, my playing is not for me, it's for God. And so even though, yeah, there may be 65,000 people cheering my name and chanting my name and cheering me, it's not about me. I'm doing it for God's glory. He will receive the praise. And so I'm going to deflect all the praise that is given towards me, and I'm going to deflect it back to God. And so here is the question that Paul is hoping we'll ask in everything that we do. Who is being highlighted in your life? Where are you directing the spotlight? Who is out in front of your life? 
Who is being made famous? Who is seen? Who is known? Who is being honored? Who is receiving praise? Who is getting the glory? Who are you doing it for? Because if the question to any of the, the uh, I'm sorry, if the answer to any of the, these questions is, is me, that I'm doing it for me, that I want the spotlight directed on me, and that I'm what it's all about, and I want to be made famous, and I want to do it so that I am honored, and I am praised, and at the end of the day, I am propped up, then at the end of the day, I am living for myself. And at the end of the day, I am seeking all of my value and all of my worth and all of my identity on what I accomplish in my fame and what people think of me and how many Twitter followers I have and how many social posts people respond to and how many likes I'm getting and how big my house is and what kind of car I drive and how much money I make and how high up the corporate ladder I've climbed. And the problem with this is that I am anchoring and I am attaching my soul and my worth and my value and my identity to something that is destined to die in the end. I am putting my worth and my value and my identity in something that is always going to fail. My friends, I don't want that for you. I don't want it for me and I don't want it for you. And beyond that, when we seek our own glory and we seek our own fame and push ourselves out front so that we are seen and we are highlighted, I think so often what we're going to find is that we, we will begin doing all sorts of things with our work and with our energy and with our time that actually rub up against our conscience and rub up against our conviction and rub up against our nature as human beings. I mean, how often, and maybe you've experienced this in your own life, and maybe you certainly have experienced, experienced it in the corporate world, how many of you have experienced this to some degree? That a little bit of desire for maybe a little more money, a little more prestige, a little more recognition, maybe one rung higher on the corporate ladder, just that little bit of desire causes us to forsake our integrity. I mean, I, I, I know I've done it. I bet a lot of us have. Certainly, again, the corporate world does it. And when we sacrifice our integrity on the altar of money or on personal fame or recognition, my friends, you need to know that the next lie is going to become that much easier. And others who observe us might be tempted then to do the same. And, and everyone then would, would trust everyone just a little bit less. And all of a sudden, we've created a natural culture of cheaters and liars and self-made narcissists. And we're be honest, compassionate, generous, not because these things are rewarding, but because they are right in and of themselves. This is how we are designed as human beings to live upon this planet. Because to do so honors the will of God and his desire for human life. I mean, the definition of righteousness that we get throughout Scripture, as we've already talked about this morning, is that people disadvantage themselves for the advantage of others. But we live in a world that is constantly trying to tell us, no, 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 advantage yourself and don't don't worry about who it costs. Don't, don't worry if advantaging yourself is a disadvantage to your community. Don't worry about that. You go do you. You do your thing. You please you. But Paul said it, friends, no one should seek their own good. No, we should seek the good of others. If my own personal happiness and my own gain and my own recognition and my own glory is the greatest good, 
if that's what it's all about, if that's what I'm living for, if that's where I'm placing my identity and my value and my worth, then you know what? It doesn't matter what happens to you. I don't actually care what happens to you. You're only good to me if you are good for me and you push me further along in my own personal journey. It doesn't matter what I do to you on my way up the corporate ladder or who I need to walk over in my own personal gang. Because at the end of the day, it is my own personal happiness that is at stake, not yours. And so I'll use you, and I'll abuse you, and I'll do whatever I need to do in order to get my way. That is what is at the end of the line when we glorify ourselves, my friends. That is at the end of the line when we put ourselves out, out front and we highlight ourselves. And so please, don't, ask your, don't, don't answer the question of, of who is out in front with me or with you, that's not good for anybody. It's not good for me. It's not good for you. It's not good for the world as a whole. My friends, God is the only anchor, the only eternal anchor for our souls. And I hope you believe that this morning, and I hope that you commit to that this morning. God is the only eternal anchor for our souls. He is my creator. I did not create myself. He is the one who has saved me. Even while I was a sinner, I did not save myself. Therefore, he is the only one who is worthy to be pushed out in front of my life. And so how do we do this at work? You know, we're in the context of work. We're in this conversation on work. How do we do this at work? I mean, does it mean that we have to put, you know, I'm redesigning my, my company logo. Do I have to put a Jesus fish in there or, you know, incorporate a cross somewhere in there? Is that how we do it at work? I just encourage you to do your work in such a way where it expresses the character of God. You see, grace and love and mercy and seeking the advantage of others, these aren't natural. So, so when they are enacted, when the world sees them, they actually rub up against how humans typically treat each other. And when the world sees an, a bold act of grace or a bold act of forgiveness, the world begins to ask questions. It's atypical, and it's not normal. Everybody, yes, is made in the image of God, but what's unique about followers of Jesus is that we are the image of God. Jesus was the image of God, and now we are ambassadors of the image of God. We are remade in God's image. Our job then is to take the invisible God and make him known. And so how does your work make the invisible God visible? You guys ever think about this as you're doing your day-to-day activities? How is this job that I'm doing right now making the invisible God visible to my coworkers, to people who are looking on, to my patients, whoever it may be? How is what I'm doing right now making the invisible God visible? Well, what is God like? And if you don't know scripture, by the way, you're never going to know what God is like. And so, my friends, we need to be in God's word because it is his special revelation towards us. What is God like? Well, he's hardworking, he's joyful, he's proactive, he's honest, he's true, he's upright, he's a person of integrity. He's exceptionally generous. He takes all of the worst jobs. We'll talk more about that next week. And he does all this with an attitude of love and joy and peace and patience. Now, we don't work this way because we've mustered up these same attitudes, but because God lives within us. And so, my friends, if the fruit of God's spirit is produced in your life and is evident in your life to your neighbor and to your coworker and to your friend and to your family member, then that is how we make the invisible God visible. They begin to see the attributes that are uniquely God in us only because we surrender and god's spirit lives within us producing those fruits through us another way of asking the same question is if jesus were me you know if, if he 
lived in my house, had my family, my education. He worked my job. He lived in my city. He made my salary. How was he moved? This is the question of discipleship. This is the question that the first part of our mission statement that we are called to know God more intimately, more passionately. Jesus clothed over us. He is the one who is glorified. He is the one who is honored. He is the one who is lifted high, given attention, pushed out. He is the one who is seen. It is his attributes living out of us. And so this is why our mission is what it is, that we are called to know God. And friends, it's not just about a Bible study. It's not just about memorizing some scripture. It's not just about saying some prayers or doing devotionals, my friend. It is a life that is lived clothed in Jesus Christ so that we do all things for the glory of God. Very much including your work, very much including your play, all of your interactions, my friends, I pray will be more like Jesus because you are committed to knowing God in the context of restoration work. I want to invite Emily forward and we are going to sing one final song together as we reflect on this for just a minute more. One component of all this is that we live in a world that is constantly trying to save itself. I, I, I kind of mentioned this at the beginning, right? So that we, we, we live in a world where they're constantly asking questions and they're constant longing. We live in a world that knows that it is guilty. Every single, that's the universal truth of every single person that we know we are guilty. And we, we talk about this often here, that every single person whom we know turns towards religion in some sort of way. They all turn to a self-attempt at fixing the problem that they know they have. So, so imagine that you are, you know, uh, out on a fishing expedition in the ocean, and you're there, and you fall overboard, and you begin to drown, and, and you can't save yourself, and the sharks begin encircling you as the waves begin splashing over, and you're drowning, and like, you have no hope, but your very skilled captain throws that life preserver, rings it around your neck just perfectly right, and he drags you out of that shark-infested water back onto the boat. And then, and then you get to, you know, take that ride back to shore. And, and people have already heard about the story, about how the captain has saved you. And, and there are film crews there. There's, there's a news station waiting to capture your story. What do you say? Who do you give credit to? Because so often in our attempts to save ourselves, right, we all recognize that we have these problems, but... I'm going to attempt to save myself. And the way we try to save ourselves is by numbing the pain or, or finding some other coping mechanism or, or running away or hiding or blame shifting or lying or cheating our way out of it or just making more money that it kind of fixes all the problems. Or, or we turn to religion and so we grasp rosary beads or we say prayers or we go into confessional booths or we do all sorts of things to try to fix the problem ourselves. But that's kind of like the guy saying, yeah, I was drowning, and the waves were crashing over me, and the shark-infested waters were, were there. And I just kind of jumped out of the water. When we know, my friends, when we know that we have only been saved by the gracious hand of God, and so, my friends, who is out front of your life? Who are you giving credit to? Who is being honored? Who is being glorified? Who is highlighted? Who does your work draw attention to? I hope that we might become a people who, I don't know whether we eat or drink, 
or whatever we do might be done for the glory of God. Emily and I are going to sing this song together, and I would just encourage you to kind of let it be a prayer. Let the words kind of wash over you. Maybe these are your prayer. Maybe this is God. I want to give you the praise and the glory, and, and I want to shout your name this morning for all the good that you have done for me. It's not what I have done for myself. It is the good that you have done for me. So let my life then be a declaration of your goodness.